Uh, we're about to start a new series. Uh, uh, and, well, it's not a new series. It's, it's been about our church for a while, but it might be a new series to you. Some of you will have heard this before because it's part of the building block of our church. Um, I, I want to tell you a story. Of, a, a few years back, um, uh, we had, I had been a pastor in Christian Fellowship Church. We planned at Christian Fellowship Church Antrim uh, a few years back. And um, uh, it's, a long, it's a long, long story, not for today. But thankfully, you know, God's redeeming a lot, a lot of, uh, of that. But like anything, when you plant in your own hometown and you, you push out, um, we had been through probably three of the most difficult years of our lives at that point. And um, uh, one of the things that kind of struck me and what the Lord really spoke to me was about how, how, how very much aware I was of my own character flaws at the time. And uh, I, think, I think the problem is sometimes in church leadership, we expect people to be perfect. And, and one of the things that, that, that was really, I was really struggling with because I knew the people in Antrim weren't the finest of refined people, if you know what I'm trying to say. All right, they, 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 they were rough and ready and rednecky and earthy and, and, and uh, you know, they, 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 they were couth in many ways. But I felt like if the church had to make... Um, make the bar high in biblical standard the way a lot of the church had done over the years, I don't think too many of the people would have lasted too long in the church. And the problem was, I think we went through a season when, when legalism, religiosity, and the bar was incredibly high, that what it meant was that nobody could actually measure up. And I was a pastor and I couldn't. And, uh, oh no, don't feel sorry for me. Um, and one of the things that... that, that that was a now word of God that God really spoke, I mean, deeply in, in their lives. Back then, I didn't read an awful lot of books. I read a few more these days, but I didn't read a book. But God had, had put a book on my heart by a man called Danny Silk called Culture of Honor. And um, I, I, I had gone off to France. We were, Ian Somerville, and there was a few guys who were leading a bit of worship over in, I don't know, where, where, where was that? Strasbourg, like how did that even? <laughs> anyway, we're, the, these guys were leading worship in Strasbourg, but we decided we'd do a holiday in France that year, and there's a few other guys who were going to come in, and Jill were coming with us as well. And uh, uh, we were we were sitting. I was sitting waiting on their plane because we, we went a day early. They were coming the next day, and I was sitting on, on sitting beside Rachel in the car waiting on their plane to, to arrive because it was Ryanair and it was on time, as you can imagine. And uh, uh, so we're sitting waiting, and, and I started to read this book, and I get into the second chapter. And I was like sobbing like a, a baby. Our kids were young at the time. They were in backseat of the you know, pram sort of stage. And I remember, I remember being so deeply impacted by the first two chapters of that book. When we picked Ian up from the airport, he, he couldn't wait to tell me. He said, John, I need to talk to you. I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, I've been reading the first two chapters of this book and I need to talk to you about it. I was like, what is it? He says, it's Culture of Honor by Danny Silk. Little did we know at the time, but at the very same time, at the very same season, without either of us communicating, we were reading the first two chapters of Danny Silk's Culture of Honor. And given what we had been through, it was a profoundly powerful word. We actually invited Danny over, and, and he's been over quite a few times since. Um, but one of the things that we, we initially put into our core, and I really would encourage you, go download, buy the book. I think it's free at the moment on, on, on audiobooks. Um, go and download it and read it for yourself. Uh, read it more than once, Okay. It's one of those books you have to read about three times. It's about the third time you really start to get it. Because it is complex, but actually at the heart of it, it's, it's I think it's, Danny says honor is the currency of heaven. 
And uh, I want to teach directly from, from, from what he taught because I think he puts it well. But what's interesting is our own ministry here in theotherapy actually works so well together with these things that it's actually quite incredible that, that, that at the heartbeat of this. I'm not going to lie, today might challenge you a little bit because it challenged me to write this sermon. And when I went back in to get it, I'm like, oh God, I don't, I don't get that right. And I remember Chris Cruz, I invited him in to take a look at our team at the time. And I said, Chris, I want you to look at us. And he ripped me a new one. He says, there's, there's no honor here, John. And we had a, an Irish sense of humor where we used to rip, rip the backside out of each other. You know, we just would cut and I was very cutting. And that day I made a decision I was going to lose that humor out of my life. And uh, because it wasn't honor. And honor is when you put somebody else higher than yourself. It's one of our values of, of our church. So for the next month, we're going to be talking a little bit about that. 1 Peter 2, 17 said this. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Love produces honor, and honor produces love. I want to just start by pointing out that our lives together in the body of Christ are actually intended to be eternal. You know, God set it up that we have these eternal relationships. But we live in a culture that's so temporal in its nature. You know, you only need to look, dang, the family structure is just getting blown to pieces at the moment. Family systems are breaking down. Um, I, I read uh, a thing on the news this morning that said Tesco's staff are now having to wear body cams because of the amount of abuse and assault. The, the, the amount of that something's going on in the system where honor is no longer built into the people of, of, of our communities. They've, they've lost their ability to respect and bring honor. And, uh, um, you know, we see church hopping, we see, um, we see a fractured this and a fractured that, we see broken relationships which are devastating. And we've lost momentum, whether it's your marriage, your family, a community, the momentum, a generation of broken covenants is the target of our enemy. And the enemy is empowered through our minimizing of the value of covenant relationship and fighting to protect it. Let me say that again. The enemy wants to come and still kill and just still steal, kill and destroy <laughs> the covenant relationships that we build. And this is a powerful message because it's, it's something that I think I've worked personally very hard at, 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 at developing relationships and, can, and keeping them. Let, let, me, let, let me tell you, covenant relationships are meant to last a lifetime. They're built into our lives and they're these living stones that when we come together, we build together that God creates a dwelling place for his presence to live. And when we begin to honor each other, even though we're screwed up and we're a failure and we're broken and we're damaged and people around us are, are even worse than us, um, we're meant to be these living stones that God allows to bring these relationships together. But what happens is we've taken some of these relationships, we've put them in the gutter and the church has done an incredibly bad job over the years at not doing this particularly well because we've dishonored in, in so many ways. We literally take it down to a worldly perspective and we never gain understanding. We never really know what it is that we're meant to fight for. When we were uh, just into COVID, we, we had lost the school and uh, an interesting thing had happened. Um, we were doing a recording down in 15D because we had turned that into our live stream during that. And we had a small team of people who were working on it, but there was, we were doing live worship and we were kind of socially distancing. And, do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we were, we were having a slight 
disagreement within the team as how best to do this. And one of the things that happened was Ian and I started to go hammer and tongs in front of uh, all the team who were there. Now, what you can understand is that's the way Ian and I do it. But it was the first time that people like Mara and Joshua and our team had seen it. And they, their faces fell and they were all really, really worried. And they're like, are you two okay? And I'm like going, yes, why? What's wrong? Well, maybe not you, but some other people were. But one of the things that had happened was, was that Ian and I had this um, coming together where we, where, where we went at it. And, and, and I need you to understand that happens regularly. All right? That happens a lot. Now, you may not see it, but I want to I tell you. Now, why am I telling you that story? Well, because the relationship that Ian and I particularly have is a covenant one. It's a covenant relationship. And we've never let, no matter how difficult the situation is or, or, or how, how much pressure comes on that, we've never let that covenant relationship be at the mercy of any character flaw, sinfulness, brokenness, or damage in our relationship. Do, do you understand what I'm trying to say? If you get this, you'll understand what the culture of honor is. What I'm trying to say is that the bond that God put between me and him 17 years ago is a covenant relationship that will last for eternity. The moment that I make his problems or my problems the problem, we break relationship. So Ian and I can have a good old ding-dong and know that we walk out that door with the very same principles, heart and passion to do it. We may not always agree. In fact, what I do love about our elders, you need to understand this, we take agreement off our table. The goal of the eldership is not to agree. The goal of the eldership is to bring the presence of God to earth. And it's, it's now, now hear me, there's, there's fundamentals that we have to agree on. And if any of our elders stop agreeing in those, there will be a problem. But what I'm talking about is, is this agreement on, on, on the idea. Now, we actually operate on the basis of agreement, but it's not the thing. We'll put something on the table and we'll say, hey, how do you feel about this? We might take two or three months to think about it, pray about it, come back, and then we'll have a final vote. But if one elder comes along and says, no, I don't feel that that, that should take place, it doesn't happen. Um, now, generally, we're an eldership that likes to say yes. But why am I saying that? Well, because if we made agreement around anything, the goal, we wouldn't, there wouldn't be too many people left with me. The humor was lost in that. <laughs> I, I, I want you to understand the heartbeat of, of what I'm trying to get across. Because I remember, I, remember, I remember hearing someone say one time, come and fight with me. You know, I say it all the time, well, come and argue with me. Because in our country, we're too insecure, we're too afraid, uh, we, we, we distance in relationships. You see, covenant relationships come together, even if you have to deal with conflict. And one thing I know about Northern Ireland people, we really, really suck at conflict. We've been good at it for, for like 700 years. But when it comes to actually facing stuff, we're we find it really, really difficult to do. But if the underbelly of God's kingdom is covenant relationship and honor, we actually can have the most incredible, difficult conversations knowing that the relationship is never up for grabs when it comes to building the kingdom of God. Does, does this make sense? It's, it's, a, it's a heart transplant that, that you need to get when it comes to this. Because it's, it's easy to do that when you're in a leadership team. But what about your work? You know, how, how is it if you work in a team of 25 people and you hate half of them? How, how, 
few of you know what I'm talking about. How, how is it that when God uh, in church that we go, well, we do, you see, we're not meant to just develop kingdom relationships with people in church. We're actually meant to live this as a lifestyle. And, 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 and when I say we we'll fight, because if you come along, we're not fighting with each other. Ian and I weren't fighting with each other. We're actually fighting alongside each other. We're just having a, a heartfelt debate about how we should do it. But to other people, it looks like conflict. And it probably was conflict, but it's not something that anybody should ever be afraid of. Why? Because if I know the bedrock of my relationship with you is steadfast and never up for debate, then nothing will actually affect that relationship. Do, do you get that? Now, here's the question I have for you. How do you get that culture of honor into your life? Because how, 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 do, you, how do we behave when it comes to, to, to having a culture of honor that's not just a culture of honor within the church, but a culture of honor in our lives? Let me tell you what honor means. Honor means to put someone else ahead of you. Honor means not to judge. Honor means not to have an opinion when you have an opinion. Let me say that again. Honor means not to have an opinion when you have an opinion, especially if it's like our country where it's negative all the time. This is hard to do. Like it's, it's hard to do. It takes time and it takes a shift with inside of us. But I actually think it's the currency of heaven. And I think it ultimately honor produces love. And love produces honor. But the difference between love and honor is that we tend to like to give honor and love to those that deserve it. We tend to have these people that, 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 that we pick. But how do we move to communicating this culture and learning to protect our relationships without minimizing the practice of honor? And I believe heaven and the relationship to heaven are held together by honor and that there's, if there's no honor, everybody becomes afraid. Let, let, me, let me tell you the opposite of honor. The, the opposite of honor is fear. Because fear gets into a relationship, we become afraid to communicate. We, we become afraid to tell the truth. We, we, we lie. How many of you know that you have three communication languages? You've got what comes out of your mouth. You've got your body language. And then you've got what we call the unspoken. <laughs> you know the one where your mouth saying one thing, but everything else about you saying an entirely different thing? You know what I'm talking about. It's like that, that double stuff is so prevalent in, in the community today. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you. What happens when the truth inside of you is dishonor? What happens when the truth inside of you is bad? You see, we, have a, we live in a culture where we hide it, we push it down and we pretend it's not there. But actually what I've discovered is you actually have to get it out. You can't live with it there. You actually have to bring it out and bring it into light. First John 4, 18, or actually John 4, 18 says, perfect love casts out all fear, but likewise, fear casts out all love. Let me say it again. Love casts out all fear, but likewise, fear casts out all love. How many of you ever been afraid? You see, fear will produce insecurity, and insecurity will produce distance. And too many today are afraid to have open and honest honoring conversations. Why? Because we like a plastic, fantastic society. Who went to see Barbie and Ken? Seriously, put your hands up. Who went to see Barbie? Oh my goodness. There's a special team going to be at the front here for you today. 
just to get prayer. But it, it's, it's, so, it's so funny how we buy into a world system. And yet, as a church, we've got to keep coming back into the heavenly system. What does the heavenly system look like? Well, it says that we're to love one another. So how do we cultivate a government of culture? How do we cultivate to interact with one another? And how do we manufacture that within this house, within our family, within our workplaces, within our government, within our church? How do we, how do we create an authoritative structure that actually brings genuine honor? And because love casts out fear and fear casts out love, that system done the wrong way will produce fear. One of the things that I've tried to do as a staff team is never create a place of fear. One of the things that we never do in our church, though a lot of churches do, is have Feedback Monday. Do you know what Feedback Monday is? Where we literally rip the service apart. Now, sometimes we have the feedback, okay? But we don't ever sit having a critique. Because what I discovered is when you start critiquing people's playing, their worship, what they said, how they said it, the way they go, something begins to creep into the culture. The bar suddenly starts to get higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And after a while, people stop telling the truth. And they start pretending to be something that they can't ever be. Because as a culture, we've created fear as the platform instead of honor. So we, we made a decision, I made a decision that as a staff, we weren't going to do that. Now, sometimes we have to go, did that work? You know, we had a meeting this week about Kingdom Come, and uh, there's a few changes need to take place next year. <laughs> Some things work. But for the most part, it was a great conference. But a lot goes on in the background to make that work. But if we can't have that feedback in a place of honor, people will get offended and disappointed because most of it comes at me. And if my own heart isn't right when it comes to relational equity, we're in bother. Do you know how many people, you know how many people come to me and say, John, that was, that was just terrible. Like, that was awful. Generally the same people, by the way. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but, but you just get the, you know the negative Nancys? Nothing's positive, everything's just bad. I, I, I'm going to bring somebody up to give a testimony from a conference. Where's Linda? Come on, get up here. Where's the microphone? Come on up, Linda. This is an awesome testimony. Okay. I know you hate it up here, but hold that right up against your chin and tell everybody what you told me this morning. Um, at Kingdom Come, I don't know, I'm, I'm very nervous, excuse me, but at Kingdom Come, and John Luke was going around the audience. I got smaller, and I'm five foot nine, so the closer he got to me, the smaller I got. Um, and he came off. I don't know if any of you heard of the end of the numbers where he said 8439 immune system, and I went like this. And he was just three rows in front of me, and he kept saying 8439, and it was not me. And then I kept doing my, you know your bank card? I don't know if any of you know it off part of your phone number. But I kept saying, well, no, that's not me, because mine's 8429. So, and I do have an immune system disorder. So, put it out of my head, thought, and I really was skeptical. I'm not going to say this. I really am and was, not now, 
very skeptical. So this is just not right. I don't feel right here. I'm not going to lie. It was awful. I really could have run out of there quicker than I could have if I could have got past everybody. So I went home, forgot about it, had an appointment on Thursday. Now I've had rheumatoid arthritis for from 2011, really bad. I've had scans. I've had everything where it's shown all the different things. But on Thursday, my consultant could find nothing of rheumatoid. And they, she kept saying, there's no deterioration, there's no immune system, there's, no, there's nothing. And I still, they, they, I still have other conditions, but that was the one thing that John had said. Quietly, immune disorder, now he didn't go on about it, he didn't actually go on about it. And I kept saying, well, it's 8439, it's not me. My number does end, my old car number ends in 8429. And whether you believe it or whether you don't, and I would have said I didn't. But I have to say I do. And I have to say, for a consultant who doesn't know anything about me that way, when she said, I don't know why, it's not there, something's just developed, I can honestly say our God developed, and it's done. Come on. Good. Why is it that we hide? Why is it that Linda stepped back from it? That we always go from the cynicism because we're built into a world system, not a heavenly system. Uh, and, and just like the culture of honor, it requires an effort to get your head around what this is. If, if, if we're going to have a grace revival, let me say that again. Anybody know what a grace revival is? Well, a grace revival is when the church begins to actually live in grace. Because in theotherapy, one of the things that we, we do is help people accept the things in the other significant relationships that they couldn't accept. So let me give an example. Let's say your mother was really critical and you love your mother. She was great. Like, like, you know, all you boys were mummy's boys in Ireland. Never know daddy's boys, but we're always mummy's boys. And we love our mummy, all right? And, but our mummy was always critical. Well, what will happen is this, is that inside of you, you will always have a dishonoring towards criticism. And here's the problem. You go to school and you get a critical teacher. Well, she just becomes your mummy in that moment. And then, and then you get a, another bit of criticism from, and then you marry someone because we normally mother, marry our mothers. And then they become critical. And then we just seem to attract criticism all the time. And we've got, and we trigger like crazy on the criticism. And then we wonder why inside of us, there's this incredible brokenness happening all the time when it's critical. What happens if honor is forgiving your mummy for her criticism accepting that your mummy is critical and loving her anyway even with her criticism if I could get something through to you this morning it is this it's understanding that we don't operate in 100% of loves we operate in 90% but Jesus said a little yeast goes through the whole batch. How do we deal with the little yeast of consistent dishonor? 
that comes along and trips us up. How do we move to a place? Well, let me, if you're writing these down, let me give you some tips. The first thing is this, there will be people in your life that you need to forgive that you didn't think you needed to forgive. It's, and here's who they are, they're the people closest to you. Because sometimes we don't realize that we actually hold the biggest grudges against the people that we love. But there's a funny old thing, love gets in the way. And you might have 80% love, and that's great. And, you know, I, I see it all the time. Oh, I, I love, I, I love that person. I'm not really interested in 80% of love because love will remain. I'm interested in the 20% that's hiding behind the love. That's the dishonor. It's the one that Jesus said is the truth and of the truth can set you free. How do we get to the 20% in that relationship? How do we, how do we heal that? How do we honor someone? Because I'm not just talking about honoring a boss or a king. You see, I've got the problem here because the Bible, it, you know, I can, honor, I can honor government, I can honor people around me, but the Bible actually says to honor all people. How, how do you honor all people? You see, historically, we went, well, it's the old-fashioned way. I'll honor them if they honor me. Here's a good one for you. I'll honor them when they earn it. They have to do something for me in order for me to honor them. Here's another one for you, ready? They have to repent before I can forgive them. I was talking to somebody last week. I said, you know you're holding a grudge. I am not. No, you are, you're holding a grudge. And they said, they said I, I'm really not. I'm, I'm not holding anything. I could have forgiven them. And uh, my batteries are going. It's been the story of my summer. My batteries are on tonight. <laughs> going the handheld. And uh, what happens is, um, whenever, <laughs> whenever we, we don't realize that we're holding on to something, it requires that God to come along and challenge the very thing that we didn't know that was there. And here's the problem. Most of us don't know that's there. I, I oh, my sermon's shot today because I knew it was beat when I started at five past 12 before I even got into it. But I, 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 wanna, I wanna challenge you on this because are, how do you honor those that you can't? Well, my mom and dad abused me. My dad left me. My, my mum took off with another man. W whatever it is. I'm not saying that's easy. In fact, I know it's not. It's hard for some people. But you don't have any other mum and you don't have any other dad. See, the funny thing is, God gave you those mums and dads and he put you in that family. And... If you choose to reject the mum you have for whatever reason, you will dishonor. But God says we're to honor all people. How do we honor the people that hurt us? How do we honor the wife or the husband that left us? How do we honor those that betrayed our trust and hurt us? How do we honor that bully that picked on you at school and left a legacy? 
Do you know, it gets even harder. How do we honor the abuser that abused us? The murderer that took somebody of my family? I, I didn't write it. How do we move to a place of acceptance of my husband and wife have got problems? You know, how do we accept the bad stuff in them? Because if we don't, it ain't love and it ain't honor. How do you honor a person even though they're royally screwed up? Not just once, all the time. How do you love that which you cannot love? If you want to know how to have culture of honor, I am so out of time, but I suggest you buy Danny Silk's book. <laughs> because he will articulate it much more finely than I have today over quite a few chapters of how we get that. I, I, I want to just finish up with this because I think, I think this is something that the Lord really spoke to me about. In our country, if we're going to see revival come, and we're, we're going to change it. We have to figure out what motivates us. I'll finish with this. In Exodus uh, chapter I think it's 12 or 20, I, can't, I haven't written down here, but anyway. It says, honor your mother and father. Give honor to your mother and father because this is going to add to your life and the land that the Lord has given you. How, how, do, we, how, how do we take this word honor, which is the word kabod in, 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 the, in the Hebrew, how do, we, how do we take this word and understand something that that the person beside me that is hard to love, I should elevate above me. The person who murdered my daughter should be elevated before me. I will never forget this as a young teenager watching Gordon Wilson the morning on the news after the Enniskillen bombing. One of the most godly men you could meet come on the TV in the middle of a lot of anger and he said, I forgive the people who murdered my daughter. It's called a grace revival. And it's understanding that we have to start to let go of the things that we can't let go. And just to finish on this bombshell, your mom and dad and the people in your lives are not the problem. You are. Because if there's a big red shiny button inside of you and they can push it, it is your big red shiny button. And you will never change your critical mother. You will never change the person who hurt you. You can't. It's impossible. No matter how much you pray about it and how much you wishful think about it, you cannot go back in time and undo what's already happened. But what you can do is get rid of the big red shiny button. Well, how do you do that? 
Well, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to forgive them. Mom, I forgive you for being critical. That time you said that to me and that really hurt. Today, I let go. Do you know what forgiveness is? Letting go. I'm not going to keep it anymore. I'm going to let go. It doesn't stop there though. Because there's another thing that has to happen. There has to be acceptance of my mom, including her criticism. You see, it's easy to take a mom like this, but if the criticism is here, you separate it out. Because you want the mummy without the criticism. So we, we separate it. We take the mummy, but we reject the criticism. But we'll have a problem. What's the problem? Well, the two of them come together. So you actually have to accept the mummy and the criticism and take it as a package. And then you've got to stop fighting with it. It's called surrender. Okay, God, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not fighting with that anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive her. I'm going to accept her. I'm going to surrender to the fact that that's what she's like. And then, there's a cracker. You ready? I'm going to give her permission to criticize me. And it will have no hold inside of me because I will never let your dysfunctionality determine who I am. Honor is me honoring you, but I will never let what you think about me, feel about me, say about me, shape what I feel about you. Does that make sense? Honor is you can do whatever you like to me. It won't change my opinion of you. Honor is that I love people and I choose to accept them the way they are, even though they royally screw up. I've had people that I invested my life into royally screw up. And over the years, the church hasn't been great at taking care of that. Because when somebody morally fails, what's the first thing we do? Put them out. How'd you go? I've had, I've had three conversations this past year with three pastors in the church that screwed up royally. They know they screwed up, by the way. But they were put out. Lost their community, their friends, their family, people around them. Now, if you're sitting there and you say rightly so, there's another church in Antrim you need to go to and it's not this one. I'm serious. Because we never understand honor until what that person's sin is doesn't define who I am in my opinion of them. Because my opinion of them isn't shaped by their mistakes. It's shaped by what God says about them. And my opinion of you doesn't change by what you say about me. Which is why, because if you were to do this job, it's as well you get your heart to that place. This is on you. This is a decision that you have to make to choose honor with people that is very difficult to honor. And I've done this talk before and people have come to me and said, John, I can't do that. I'll finish with a story that I share often. Got permission to share this one. A friend of mine had, son was murdered. And there were three people that had murdered them. Four, four were involved, but three people were involved in the murder. And that person could not, could not forgive those, those boys. And for two and a half years, we talked. Two and a half years. Talked. And I said, I'm not telling you you have to. I'm just saying the only way out of your prison is for you to do this. And their life had, been, had fell apart. 
And one day they came in and said, I think I'm ready to do this. All right. And she went through all four of them. She forgave every single one of them. And then she had somebody else to forgive. You know, we're really good at forgiving other people, but we suck at honoring ourselves. See, until you figure out how to honor yourself, even though you're screwed up, we are, we are bad at that. This generation, see you young girls, you need a revelation of God about this. Because when they look in the mirror, what do they see? Pure ugliness. Starts by learning to love in yourself. It starts by learning to honor yourself and go, you know what? My nose might be a wee bit wonky, but it's my nose. It's the nose that God's given me and I'm going to love it anyway. It's true. Do you know many people struggle with that stuff? Basic relationships of honor. Love your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you can figure out those relationships and start to honor them and love them, I promise you this, peace and joy and freedom will follow you all the days of your life. But there's a problem. A free people are very hard to lead. I would love a church of free people. It's why we do what we do. Starts by learning to honor each other no matter what's going on. Maybe you have a conversation to have with somebody today. Someone that you've dishonored your whole life. And you know what? They might even deserve it. But we had this Savior who went to a cross to take what you deserved so that I didn't have to. And the model of honor is that. Did Christ not come and love us in our mess, in our sinfulness, and take the bullet for us? And I hope today I've reminded you that we're meant to be like Christ, that we take a bullet for those who don't deserve it. And I really feel this morning, some of you, you need to go and have a conversation with someone that you haven't had a conversation with. And if someone's passed away or someone isn't on this earth anymore, come and see one of my team. They will help you deal with that one because there's another way that we deal with that. Seek love. Seek honor. Love one another. Honor one another. Honor those that you find hard to honor, but find the things that you dishonor about the people that you love the most and honor those and love them anyway. Let's stand.